0: Welcome back to Trader Chats, everyone. I'm Imran Larka, and today's episode is called Correlation versus Causation. And my guest is Weston Nakamura, AKA the Yen Whisperer. Hey Weston, thanks for coming on the show.
1: <laughs> Hi Imran. Um, as I've told you, as I've told you in the past, uh, that is not a nickname. That's something that you just made up and, and uh, I hope that nobody adopts that. I'm not a Yen whisperer. <laughs> I've,
0: got, <laughs> I've, thank got, you. I've got a track record for giving people nicknames that sticks. So I'm sorry about that, but you're just gonna have to deal with it. But anyway, the first time I saw you was on real vision a few years back. Um, as I'm sure many people did, but why don't you give us a little bit more detail about your background, how you first got into markets?
1: Uh, sure. So, um, so as, as you, as you know, as, as many do, um, so I'm not a, like a typical finance guy, even though I have an institutional background. Uh, I have a very, like actually kind of the opposite. I have a very horrendous like academic background. I have no like master's degree. I didn't study, I, I had a basically a throwaway kind of, um, d- degree, uh, at a kind of mediocre school and bottom 50% of my class. I had no interest in like finance or no knowledge of it whatsoever. 2008 happens, that's when I like woke up and realized like, oh my god, like this is, this is, this industry is more powerful. This is the most powerful institution in the world. Like it's more powerful than governments, as you can, as we saw. Like they said, we need money. Governments and governments around the world unite as so We like, here you go. Um, and so I realized then this is nothing to do with ideology, but I realized at that time that if I want job security in this world, I have to get into a too big to fail institution. Because if you do anything else, if you're a doctor, lawyer, if you work at a foot logger or whatever, and, like, people that move, like, you know, green and red blinky tickers around and push, like, digital pieces of paper around the world, if they, like, mess up, like, that's going to hit you directly, even though you have nothing to do with subprime mortgages. But you'll be okay. So that was kind of my, like, uh, initial sort of force of it. And then after that, I actually did get genuinely interested in markets themselves. I found them fascinating, um, it's still to this day. Um, I started like options trading and stuff like that. Probably I wish I had options insight at the time. Um, and then basically in 2013, um, I saw my one very slim chance to get into institutional finance with my like background that does not, that basically should, on paper, I should not be working in, in institutional finance. But that was Obenomics. And so Obenomics, I, I recognize that there's going to be a flood of foreign capital going into Japan. And so if I, who was living in New York at the time, born and raised, could just, with a Japanese last name, just position myself in Japan as, like, in some sort of of client-facing sales role to give foreign investors exposure to whatever Japanese product, whatever, like, financial product, doesn't matter what it is, because I don't know anything from scratch anyway, Um, that's my one long shot chance. So basically, end of 2013, I kind of packed up, I I uprooted my entire life, and I kind of packed up, like, uh, my... my one bag, my one suitcase, one-way ticket to Tokyo, uh, and I basically got here with like I didn't have anywhere to like live, I didn't have any contacts, I didn't know anybody, couldn't speak the language, I certainly didn't have any like ins, inroads into in, into finance and, 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 and anything like that, and I basically just kind of hopped around various capsule hotels, but I just banged the door down on every finance institution with like a footprint in Tokyo. Goldman of all of them took notice and said like mm-hmm. this is the most insane thing I've ever seen that you just moved here like uh, like that. um, But yeah, and then 20 some odd interviews later I sitting at the list of derivatives futures and options uh, trading desk and that was my way into finance. That's um, a pretty cool that, story. That's a pretty yeah, cool story. Crazy. Yeah, Yeah. I like that. yeah. I like that. and 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 just and like i got passed up on like you know i won't mention the other other banks but like you know at that time goldman i don't know if they still are but they were certainly the most selective um and they would they'd asked me too like you you'd realize like that we're goldman and that you're like a d student like and there are harvard and you know oxford and University of tokyo like mba's out there like army of them why why should we give one of the two percent of offers to you and I said, that's exactly why you're going to give me one of the, the the offers because I'm not one of them because I don't have that same institutionalized kind of background because I have a, I'm such a like a weirdo. You need a differentiated point of view and also because I don't have that put option because somebody with an MBA who's 25 could say, you know what, I'll try out Golden, and if I don't like it, I can just go to like Morgan Stanley or go to McKinsey or go to like a hedge fund and do whatever I want. Now, that's totally true me i'm basically like they're they're hiring a homeless person off the streets literally so my put option is like i'm going to be homeless uh, so i have i have like drive more than they will ever know and ironically their mba handicaps them so that's what i offer you is like my horrendous academic record and my no other option but to succeed and
0: but to to do well um so is yeah so that was that is how you demonstrate commitment to the cause mate i like that i mean it's so funny i can vouch for everything you're saying because goldman's rejected me like three times right early (laughs) early in my career and i was straight a student on paper went to lsc did everything i was like why the hell are you guys not hiring me and then later on once my career had started they came looking to hire me to poach me and i rejected them so it was fantastic full circle but it was just yeah. It, it just wasn't my. It, it didn't feel like it was my sort of place. But it's pretty funny. But anyway, let, let's get on to the actual topic that we're supposedly here to discuss. Because I sure. think we Yeah, if just the final point on that, to just the yeah. people
1: who are watching, is that there is. I am living proof. There is no path. There's no defined. Mm. You must do X, Y, and Z. I'm not. I'm not by any means suggesting that people do what I did. Don't do what I did. But there is no path into whatever. Like if. I'm not saying you can do anything you want, but they're, they're, the rules of society are far more flexible than you think, even at institutions mm-hmm. like Goldman. that's all.
0: Think outside the box, man. That's what we're saying. Think outside the box and people will actually... Act notice. outside the box. Act and think and people will notice because then you'll actually... They'll remember you, right? You're not just going to be one of the sheep. All right. So anyway, what is it about your content that everyone loves? So I, I I've noticed that, you know, You've got a very boots on the ground style covering Japan and China um, and these things drive markets, right? You know, the the, the market opens before anyone else's market does. Um, you're looking at a lot of kind of patterns, superimposing charts on top of each other, whether it's dollar yen and yields, uh, whether it's oil prices and the yuan, whatever it is. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, that style and why you do that um how you kind of spot some of these relationships between macro assets things like that
1: sure um so i will first right right off the bat on that note say that i am a convicted chart criminal um but (laughs) i do indeed I, i do rely uh on charts i have to because at the end of the day um i like fundamentals or whatever it may be um it, it, like those things don't don't in and of themselves move markets what moves markets is just, just movement of, of capital of money in or out um, and so and ch- charts reflect that and price action and volume and all that kind of stuff so that's that's where like market activity is not at like a data point or whatever it may be or like a, a central bank policy um, so that's always my, my starting point point. Um, and then but they are fund- fundamentally, you know, it would make intuitive sense. If you have like US yields that are going very high and you have artificially kept JGB yields and you have a widening nominal yield spread, you're going to see dollar yen, you know, you're going to see the USD side rise and the JPY side fall and then dollar yen will move in tandem with you know US yields. And so basically, I try to look for um, existing relationships and then if there's a break in that, is that tradable? Is that you know is that does that mean that people are other people who are also relying upon by people i mean also like algos and all that relying on that correlation how are they positioned what are they going to react like and so that's when things kind of get interesting um it's people think that i i'm looking for things kind of that that move together all the time yeah i am but i'm looking for them to then break yeah um and see if that's tradable yeah decouple exactly Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah. And then there are certain things too, like, like take dollar yen, for example, dollar yen, yeah, nominal yield spreads, all that kind of thing. But then crude oil has pushes dollar yen higher, um, as of late as well. Um, and, and, you know, we saw that like earlier this summer, there'd be times where trading volume was very thin. There'd be like, it'd be like U S holidays and and European holidays, like at the same time and, um, holidays isn't like banking holidays. So like speculators were out of the market. So basically you saw dollar yen and like crude futures t- tick for tick moving together and that is basically just when speculators are like a smaller percentage of the actual trading activity for that intraday session then what you're seeing reflected in markets are actual transactions J- japan buying dollars usd denominated you know um uh, to buy usd denominated energy that it needs to import um and that's what you're seeing you know so the, fu- the fundamentals do get reflected in, in charts like that uh, as well, too, but... Um,
0: Sorry, so let me but, let me rewind that bit. So you're saying that when when the market goes a bit quiet, you, you start to see the impact of things like Japan actually selling some yen, converting it into dollars, which is a net buy of dollar yen, and then they use those dollars to buy crude, which makes crude go up, basically. Is that is that what you're saying? So you see the footprint of those transactions?
1: I mean, that was just one very yes. specific example, but, um, yeah, well, bro- more broadly, just to address that, I guess, I always say that it's very important um, to keep an eye on market holidays in major areas. Um, so if there's a U.S. holiday or like a U.K. holiday or, or whatever it may be, or if there's a holiday where there's just kind of one region open, Christmas is that for Japan. Japan's mar- Japan market's open around Christmas um and what's interesting to to note, and the reason that it, it's important to watch those days in particular is because not because of what the U, you know the u.s market being closed who cares it's closed it's not gonna do anything but what does the market look like absent the u.s like you know flow for the day um when that veil is lifted um or as there's more retail and um systematic presence what what's that behavior look like um and and so it kind of reveals it gives a little peek into what does it look like once that institutional blanket is kind of not removed but is slightly lifted away um and sometimes you can see things like actual commercial activity uh happening in, in you know in crude futures markets so it's not just just purely speculators um, and stuff like that
0: that's super interesting So so then okay but then i would ask then what's the causation of the move then is it is it dollar Yen moving crude or is it crude moving dollar Yen? Which way around is that?
1: In that specific instance, um, I mean, in that specific instance, it, it's just, it is a need for, so Japan imports and Japan has no energy it imports all its, all its energy. So mm-hmm. by just by kind of, you know, very normal, um, you know, uh, mechanics. Japan needs to sell yen and buy even Australian dollars. Um, uh, but you know, USD to buy USD denominated commodities. Um, so yeah, there's
0: not even a, it's not even one asset's driving the other. It's just that Japan has to buy both. Japan to buy needs yen, and they have to buy oil, right? Japan, Japan They're going to buy oil. both. The both are going to go up,
1: right? Right. right. Both will go up and they'll both go up like together if they're, if they're, if that's how they're executing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. And then, um, so, you know, you also, I've noticed you also analyze kind of CME, yen options, open interest quite a lot when you talk about what your thoughts are tactically around dollar yen. So, so I'd, I'd question like, why is that particular part, that segment of the market so impactful um because aren't there like plenty of other sort of options out there in dollar yen OTC options that we don't know about and that muddy the water in terms of that positioning so what is that focus that you have on that what's that all about
1: so just to be clear uh like when you say options are you talking about actual options or are you saying like uh choices you mean like that i know, mean the, actual
0: listed options,
1: the listed options yeah. L- list options on on f- yen futures okay yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah, yeah. Um, so again that's case by case basis too. It's not like uh the options on CME yen futures always dictate what yen futures are going to do let alone what the underlier um will do. So, certainly that can be the case when there's a massive outstanding, you know, um you know, size position out there. Um mm. that's like right that's right at the money um but I certainly look at f- the futures markets for yen because, again, in the given sort of um, 2022 inflationary environment of and central banks ripping rates higher everywhere except for in Japan, and the shortening the yen became, for many people, it became a Fed trade um, because you had so much uncertainty with immediate term like next meeting FOMC what are they going to do that the front end implied volatility on the front end of the curve so like euro dollar futures or so for futures weren't really used as much then but uh euro dollar futures like implied vol for one month out or whatever it may be or you know two meetings out would be on the floor because you know what the fed is going to do like in normal times but this time it was like you're getting you know um sunday Wall Street Journal drops of 75 basis point hikes and stuff like that. So with implied vol at the ceiling on, you know, for front end rates traders, mm. it's very difficult to trade that market. So what they did instead was, okay, you know what? Instead of betting on, you know, where we think that markets will price Fed funds to be at X date, at what level, and specifically like that. Instead, let's just do a relative trade. Central Bank, um, a hawkish central bank, the U.S., versus a standstill Dover Central Bank Bank of Japan. Mm. Um, And let's just play that that relative sort of, you know, long short. And so therefore, that's a a long USD, short JPY. So therefore, that's a short JPY futures thing uh, position. And so that's why shorting the yen became extremely crowded because of so much because there was so much of that pure just fed bet that was packed into it. And that actually, and so therefore, if that's where the action is, that's where the the positioning is, then certainly I'm going to be watching that. Mm-hmm. Currently, it's not, um, it, it is kind of getting back to those levels. But I will say that uh, the top tick on dollar yen to this day for the last 30 years or so was on October 22nd, 2022. It was a Friday around 10.30 a.m. Eastern time. That's when you have the second of two, Interventions from the Ministry of Finance from Japan um, mm-hmm. when they blasted dollar yen from 151.96 down like five handles in like half an hour or so. And that was the top tick in dollar yen and top tick in ten year US treasuries until recently. And you can see that that at that level, at that point, there was a massive, massive short squeeze, short cover on yen futures. Um that what was only rivaled by the Trump shock win election in November of 2016. But that turned U.S. treasuries, like that were, you know, treasury yields that were treading, you know, straight line upwards throughout 2022. That reversed that trend. So that's how important it is. And that's how massive it was um, and how big of a position it was. So that's why in this current era, with so much capital um, position in the yen that was um, at the time, that's why I watched that. But what I watch and stuff like that, that it really is flexible. It's, so, it's dependent upon yeah. what, you know, yeah. what market participants are doing. I don't really have a specific like sure. uh, I, you know, I don't live and die by like commitment, of, commitment of traders, CFTC, commitment of traders. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, so you're kind of sniffing out what matters basically as the market evolves. But um, so, so let's talk about the current setup, right? So 150 seems to be a bit of a line in the sand for the Ministry of Finance. Right. That's that seems to be at least where they're talking. Now, lately, we saw that massive down candle, uh, that wick, sorry, and then it did recover. So, I mean, yep. I'm finding it very interesting, this price action, right? Like, the Bank of Japan finally relented and let their, their YCC ban go up to 1%. The 10 year Japanese JGB rate is grinding up there, but you can see they're basically managing it. They're not letting it gap there, basically. And at the same it's still time. Still a very big move. Huh? Still a big move for JGBs, though. Like oh, for, sure, for sure it's big but like it didn't go from 50 jump to 100 it's just kind of it jumped and then they, you can see that they're coming in and managing it to stop it from just go exploding that quickly but then dollar yen at the same time as you see JGB rates going up you would have expected dollar yen to come softer but because us yields are flying right like going crazy with all the the bear steepening that we've seen Doll again, just sitting here at 149 still. So, yen whisper up. Tell us what the hell's going on. So when you call me that, then the expectations are so high,
1: and then I can only fail. So <laughs> that's 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 why I don't like that, that nickname. Okay. So regarding the latest Yen intervention, um, we shall see because the the actual you know Ministry of Finance like they release at the end of the each month. Here's how much we did in intervention. And many times it's zero, um, but okay. So we had two interventions last year, like basically like exactly a year ago, um, September and October of 2022. In September when they did it, that was a Bank Japan meeting day. That was Governor Kuroda sticking firm with yield curve control in the face of rising yields everywhere else. And that was dollar yen, you know, going reaching like 145, 10 minutes after BOJ press conference in September, ministry of finance announced yeah we it's not all talk we did a unilateral intervention which was kind of unprecedented because interventions fx interventions by g5 protocol is supposed to be done with the other counterparty there was no u.s treasury involved in the you know that kind of publicly at least uh in writing greenlit the blasting of like 30 billion dollars of usd that japan did um but they announced it immediately but then in october when they did it they were very kind of mysterious about it. They're like, oh, we're not going to comment. Maybe we did, maybe we didn't, right? That's what they're doing currently. And I think that's a smart move. Like uh, maybe we did act at 150, Um, maybe we didn't. Now, data actually shows like kind of balanced payments data is, uh, and just kind of um, like institutional broker-dealer to, you know, dealer-to-dealer, interdealer market, FX transactions did not actually tick up um, and, you know, I was looking at sifting through so much, so much stuff. I don't know how to process necessarily FX data in, 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 in aggregate on the institutional side. But it seems like the FX interventions that occurred last year, that was about six times more volume, um, notional volume that traded than this previous one just, just recently. And mm-hmm. you also saw that kind of 150, like pop up, then this like smash down about 2%, then immediately come right back up. And then you just look at the futures, you know, price action, and it was clearly futures driven, um, and the, them not be, you know, them not confirming it, if they did it and they wanted to say it, then they would say it so that it, it really could go either way. But that was just, again, that was just a, a very quick little sort of flash crash, um, and just everybody expects 150 to be this line in the sand and that there are so many limit orders and all that they're that just resting right above 150 to take profit on usd you know jpy longs or to short from there that it was a it's a self-fulfilling um you know intervention or like a, a self-filling resistance at the very least um, mm-hmm. that the market has uh, instilled upon itself or that the actually that the ministry of finance and the japan officials have instilled into markets successfully so so i think that um but, but what i said but what i was saying though however is that okay so there's all this positioning above right above 150 right and that just got cleared out maybe not all of it but that a lot of that had that had been resting there that got cleared out so if you see dalryan start to move upwards again you mm. don't have necessarily that wall anymore you're gonna it's gonna require in order to keep it down it's gonna require new longs to come in rather than like existing position exitings uh to, to occur and you don't you know it's it's a more of a flimsier um you know uh upside and from that point it's only you know like one percent away from breaking that thirty whatever year high, uh, in which they would have to kind of step in and intervene. So um so so it's a very interesting situation because right now people think that like Japan Japanese officials are kind of painting a corner. Of course they are, but another way of looking at it is that Japan actually might have two weapons at their disposal. They may very well. In a rising yield environment, in which you're absolutely right that JGB yields have been rising, but because they do have an explicit and implicit cap, whereas nobody else does, the in a rising global yield environment, yeah, treasury yields, boon yields are going to rise faster and more than JGB yields. And thus the, you know, yield spread uh, is going to continue to, you know, to, to widen and, you know, USDJPY, EURJPY, all that's going to continue to go up. Um, and so right now you're at the precipice of the Ministry of Finance's upper level of tolerance of 150, 155-ish or whatever. And then at the same time, you also have JGB yield 10-year JGB yields, approaching that 1%-ish level of tolerance that they have. And so Japan is pressed up against both of those. So it seems like a nightmare scenario for Japan, but they can very well uh, execute a yen intervention a, and or a fixed rate operation to basically offer a bid for an unlimited amount of JGBs and slam JGB yields down, or both. They could do both at the same time, on the same day, in the same announcement. Um, and that would presumably slam USDJPY down, you the USD complex down, DXY, right? Like euro um, and all that would strengthen, GBP would strengthen. Um, mm-hmm. The EM currencies are strengthened against dollar. And you'll also get a probably systematically driven at first, but bid back into long end treasuries and, and, and yields to fall um, at the same time. So So, that might trigger that.
0: So so one thing that surprised me in the last few days, since non-farm payrolls came out and yields topped out, you had that explosion higher in U.S. yields, and then you've had a pretty violent reversal in the 10 year, right? So the 10 year Mm -hmm. was approaching 5%, it's back to like four and a half in a heartbeat, right? That type of move, and on the back of what kicked off in Israel, that helped as well, right? So, that type of move in yields, I would have expected to see dollar yen through easily below 148, right? But it's not budged. Can you explain that to me? Because that, for me, that's been quite surprising that dollar yen has not tracked yields back down in the US. Well, it, it, it
1: on a, if you look at it on an intraday chart, it. They actually are, but you're talking about non-for payroll some last Friday, right? And then the following Monday was both a Japan holiday and a US holiday, hence the holidays. So you have both the USD side and the JPY side, not that it really matters that much, but you have both of those major players within dollar yen that both mm-hmm. had a simultaneous holiday immediately following. So you didn't get the immediate Monday, you know, day after reaction, because Japan is. First, the first chance for Japan to react to that, um, you know, during regular business hours would be the following Monday to, to react to non-farm payrolls on Friday, which is because that's Friday night in Japan. But again, that was absent. And so therefore, that immediate next day, next trading day um, reaction was therefore very, you know, muted. And that probably confused people and probably felt like, OK, that's not this reaction isn't taking place what does that mean and all that and I think that you could chalk that up to a lot of it just being a major hol- you know holidays on both sides of um, the Pacific or the Atlantic or Pacific um and so that again that's why you have to really pay attention to who's absent who's who's present marks and so that's probably why you're um you know wondering what the hell happened how come there there was no reaction to that but you are starting to see it come back now, you know, you're you're seeing a, a slow creep back, but it didn't happen immediately because
0: markets were closed. Yeah. no, I'm just saying magnitude of the moves, I would have expected the dollar yen drop to be bigger than what we've seen, given that the yield move was quite big. A move from like 490 to 450 on the 10-year is significant, right? And dollar yen, mm. dollar yen's done like one big figure, one or two big figures. It just doesn't, that relative volatility doesn't line up to me, right? It feels like dollar yen's not done enough. I would say, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that that you make a very good point about that, and I think that because I was thinking about that too. I I'm just totally guessing here, but I would think that that might be attributed to differences in liquidity and perceived liquidity, trading liquidity. Um, U.S. Treasuries are supposed to be the you know largest, most liquid market in the world, and all that. But clearly, they've that and other DM. Bond markets, um, due to QE type of programs, uh, have been suffering um, a lot of pockets of illiquidity and very sort of, you know, erratic movements. I mean, look in March of 2023, right, when you see, uh, you know, uh, massive, you know, hundred basis point three day drops on uh, two year, you know, front end yields in Germany and in U.S. and all that. JGB yields get cut in half on ten years. Um, When you see moves like that, that just shows that the bond markets are just very, very illiquid uh, in terms of trading, like in terms of like bid ask spreads and like what you know, what what's on the offer, what's on the bid, all that kind of stuff. While at the same time, FX markets are actually seeing a lot more capital and activity and participants. And like you mentioned earlier about different kind of trading venues and all all OTC bonds are all OTC as well, but um, uh, different ways to to to. Uh, get directional exposure, the ARBs that tie everything together, and all that. And so, I think that it's you're seeing a liquidity mismatch. Like you're seeing basically a deterioration of liquidity in the in the bond market, and then you're seeing a at the very least a maintenance or a less deterioration, if not an increase in liquidity um, profile for the FX markets. So, asset classes have that th- that are getting disjointed in terms of their trading mechanics and their trading. Um, functionality is you you make a
0: really good point there because i track cross asset vol on a daily basis and i have noticed that fx vol is just not reacting anything like commodity vol and rates vol and i mean equity vol is a little bit suppressed as well relatively but rates vol and commodity vol have gone nuts whereas fx are like not bothered Right, and and I think that that's a very good point. I think the liquidity profiles are changing, right? Whereas liquidity is harder to come by in some of these other assets. Whereas there's just shitloads of liquidity in FX, right? And if if not, if not, Re- well, rel-
1: relatively speaking, yeah, you know, it's yeah, not yeah.
0: deteriorating as badly as mm. you know,
1: treasury. Tre- and the, also the thing too is that um, FX like has always been assumed to be this like single dollar yen is sp- supposed to be like some single vol asset, like a, you know, um, but like treasuries are, like at least they were until maybe March of twenty twenty three, expected to be and perceived to be um, this very large, liquid, easily transactable, non erratic, stable market. And when that is your kind of not even assumption, it's like it's in your subconscious that you you're, you're rely that everybody's relying upon for not to exhibit like very kind of calm behavior and it does not do that and you have like the move index just go like shooting up that creates problems because that's not in the people's calculations for that for the stability part of it to you know um, of the trade to be to or or asset class to act so so erratically um, and bond market vault to be so high so um, I think um, yeah I guess risk
0: parity parity as well right risk parity is going to have to factor in a higher bond volatility therefore that where they might have held x amount of bonds now they've got to hold a lot less because of a more volatile asset right so that that brings that brings selling and that effectively has an impact of reducing liquidity to some extent as well systematically
1: by rule mm. by by the yeah um and, and whereas you know you have fx carry trades that's not going to do well enough you know erratic bond market with with bond vol but bond vol has to uh, occurs and then the fx vol would follow in that s- scenario mm-hmm. um, so so yeah so I, but i i do think that it's just talked up to just just trading liquidity um whereas fx does not have that problem um or at least ne- nearly to that same degree
0: okay and let this change changed uh, pace a little bit in terms of so moving away from japan Let's talk about China. Mm. So um, obviously, lots going on with China. They had their property sector debacle. Um, they've done various. Had. Well, it's ongoing, but um, they've had they've done various support measures. People are quite sceptical. There's no bazooka yet, but now they, they they're talking about fiscal stimulus finally. Okay, uh, and there's a little pop in the um, Chinese equity market, you know, recently. Um, what do we make of China? Um, are they finally going to be able to do something here and get, and and help their market recover, or is it is it another selling opportunity? Uh,
1: um, selling opportunity, all that is de- totally depends on one's time horizon and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I uh, that I don't know. If you're like a deep value investor into Chinese uh, or into capitalism with Chinese characteristics, then fine, you might some- find some value here. Um, but uh what matters is USD CNY USD CNH um and like 735 ish level um that's what i've been flagging this whole time so if you look at just today the headline out of china was that china, basically china like the, the state is taking stakes into state owned banks and the bank stocks ripped and the hang Seng index was like 2% higher Mm -hmm. um but they're doing that out of like kind of you know emergency measures and those are measures that they had avoided taking since 2015 um and so that they're doing that now but they're they're not actual measures as of yet these are just a long long laundry list of like things that they say that they're going to do and they have put every single thing out there right they're talking about like stamp duty tax and all that stamp duty is a 0.1 percent tax on uh on stock transactions that they're going to cut in in half as if that's what's going to like that's what's holding investors back um from you know catching a falling knife so what they what that shows when they're doing absolutely everything is it actually shows what they're it highlights what they're not doing what are they not doing they're not doing the massive massive qe stimulus right i'm not saying like that's right or wrong i'm just saying that that's what's what that is what it is but if you just look at their actions not and not what their words are clearly the there's a lot of jawboning but there's very little fall through what they are however doing the one thing that they are doing taking actual action on as well as jawboning is making sure that the yuan does not you know tick up like beyond this like 735 740 ish level because if it does that that's like a 15 year low or a 15 year high on USD cnh and you have a ton of usd dollar denominated debt and all that and as i always say this is a very oversimplified way to explain it but the reason that that's bad is you know i know a lot of people know about this concept of a strong dollar is bad for em especially indebted em uh, emerging markets The reason that that's the case, though, and this is um, somebody explains to me when I was in in, in, the institutional side and it kind of just cleared everything up for me as to why when you're basically a, you know, a a non USD entity, if you're like a Chinese entity or whatever it is, and you want to borrow in, um, you want to issue bonds, you want to borrow in US dollars, that's basically shorting the US dollar. And so and a, a short position that you've opened and a short position that you have to cover at some point. And so if the U.S. dollar goes higher and higher, that's bad for your short position because it's going to be more and more expensive for you to get out of that short position when that day inevitably comes. And so with, if you have dollar, uh, yuan, on and h basically on the precipice of breaking through to a 15-year level, a 15-year high, if it does that, that they're currently just like throwing everything at to defend their actual act- actions, if it does break through that, then in theory, again oversimplified, but it would mean that anybody, any entity in China who issued who borrowed in USD over the last fifteen years, has to cover that short USD position at a at a higher price than they than they open the position. And so it looks like they're really trying to do everything possible to, you know, uh, fix CNY and CNH uh, you know, stronger or to to not let it fall. Um, and, you know, about was it two months ago or so, you had a sudden shock kind of cut in their one year MLF rate that they had. And when they did that, you saw a dollar yuan make like a like a 07 percent move in a single day, which is massive for us for a, a single day. Um, and that that, my friends, is why you don't get massive stimulus out of China, because. If you stimulate, if they if they only bazooka in China, then it's going to crush the yuan, and that is more of the priority right now. That's mm-hmm. the immediate priority. So uh I don't believe that as long as the whatever, if they can roll out stimulus that's not yuan negative, I guess they that's what they'll do. But that doesn't seem to be any sort of option to do that. So um that is their priority right now, though, to make sure that the. So you really need to watch like the like not just dollar yuan, but at. a.m. local time for in Shanghai in uh in 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 China or that would be 9:15 p.m. Eastern currently before daylight saving time. Um, Watch the market then because that's when the PBOC sets their yuan fixing for the day. And just see what the market reaction is, and see to what level they are fixing it above expectations. They're going a thousand pips higher, like like regularly now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where the actual activity is. That's where the priority is. The rest of the jawboning is being done because they cannot do anything else but jawbone.
0: Interesting. That's a really good explanation. Yeah, and it, and it does explain why they're not bringing the. They can't. They're kind of in this tough spot where they can't bring the bazooka out because they're so worried about all that dollar denominated debt, right? Okay, um, let's obviously we try and generally keep these within half an hour, but we I knew we were gonna run over, it's just the nature of it. <laughs> but um, so before we wrap up, a couple of things. So what would you, have you got, you know, you are an active trader, right? Still, you, you do, you watch markets and you do put on trade. So mm-hmm. what do you think the best trade for the rest of this year? So currently I actually,
1: because I'm, busy kind of setting up um
0: my whole platform and all that
1: kind of stuff um we'll I'll get into that later but um so i haven't actually had a position on but i would think about like what i would do and i'm thinking like i'm always tempted to trade dollar yen directionally um as uh potentially you know as just a just being long long vol um and not even directional right so like a like a a, a strangle or something because it's either going to blast through that 152 level and then start like screaming towards high 150s or mof is going to come in and slam it back down and just cause this massive short squeeze and you're gonna get like a five six handle move uh the other way around um so so i don't know i guess that's a trade in your world um but um i would say that if you want to talk about like let's just talk equities i guess Um, the Nikkei was the, for the better part of the first half of this year, the Nikkei, the the Japan equity market was the standout outperformer, Mm -hmm. which I never thought I would say. Um, and it's all foreign capital and they really like believing the story for so many reasons, right? They're like this improving governance in, in corporate Japan and they're still easing and there's no imminent recession and... Someone and so forth, the legal, you know, and the valuations, my goodness, the valuations, Then Warren Buffett's stamp of approval and all that stuff, right? And so you saw the Nikkei basically just, um, load percent, yeah. Um, however, was it, three weeks ago or so, um, weekly data came out and foreigners net sold the most, um, they unloaded the most, um, basically foreign ownership of Japan stocks was the most net sell. I think it was on record or as far as they kept these records um, in, a, in a single week. They basically cleared out almost almost like half of that two months of or 12 straight weeks of just consecutive weeks of, of long uh, buying. Um, and so I think that was a lot of force positioning out. But the rhetoric and the kind of the on the street and on the buy side is still just we're very constructive Japan. That's the one, you know, region that we like and this and that. So I think that you're going to get, you just basically got the Nikkei to go fall and just, but just you know, keep above 30,000. 30, 30, and so if you're going to play a long equity trade, a long DM equity trade um, on an index level, I think that you go long the Nikkei into the end of the year.
0: And and is it more uh, an argument to say the Nikkei can't go down much or the Nikkei will actually rally much? Like if, if you had to choose between either of those two statements that, uh... Nikkei is going to struggle to go down much from here or Nikkei's going to rally and break 33k, which one would you say?
1: As somebody who's been tra- working and trading in Japan uh, for, I don't know, the better part of like a decade now, uh, I will never take off the table. Um, the It can never go down more <laughs> for the Nikkei. Um, but what I will say is that 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 one week, so much of the foreign capital got flushed out, forced flushed out, I think, because Japan, foreign investment into Japan, for like, uh, in Japan equities, is like what I call the most disloyal capital. It's like the last in that they do that to the portfolio, and it's the first out when there's like signs of trouble. Um, But there are so many people that are, are looking at Japan breaking out topics, banks breaking out, like, um, just, just surging um, all all year and uh, way outperforming Euro stocks, banks, or, and certainly like the, you know, like KBW, like US banks and stuff like that. Um, And, and so, you know, it's, it's a hybrid between like this AI, the Nikkei is like a hybrid between like an AI, like tech, index like the Nasdaq 100 as well as like a value <laughs> uh index yeah. and, yeah, and so so mm. many people wa- did miss that move and i think this is the pullback that they want to get in and there's a lot of capital got flushed out forced flushed out there's a lot of capital still left on the sidelines that need to go somewhere and i think that this is this is where it's going
0: to go now i mean the reason i asked the question is, is a leading question like the question for me is do you sell put spreads or do you buy call options or do you do both right because basically if you think it's going to rip higher you're going to buy calls because they'll that'll do well if you think uh you know it's bullish but it might be a slow slow grind higher but I think we're kind of near support levels that it's struggling to break below you just sell put spreads and take the premium right so it might be a case of you do both legs of that trade to really get some gearing to a rally but but I do agree with you that there's probably a lot of people who are waiting for a pullback after that impressive move in the summer they've got one it's been consolidating and now if we do start to see the up leg happen again maybe they start chasing it right into year end.
1: but yeah but but the um like it's it's long it's like long onlys though i mean yeah there's some hedge funds that went long and that took quick profit but there are like long onlys that are kind of in it for long term building like warren buffett is just got long right um I mean i guess august 2020 but he's just he built up his position he upped his stake in these five japan trading companies in april of this year um bar he basically borrow, borrowing yen at like you know the cheapest the last yeah. the last like cheap funding left in the world to go long these companies that have a higher dividend payout ratio uh percentage than th- what he's borrowing at um and and also therefore kind of like fx hedging himself as well Um uh, but uh i think that this is something maybe i should ask you this phenomenon of nikkei exploring to the upside in other words you have nikkei implied vol surges alongside the sp- on the spot index what do you do in that situation would you be long calls because they're expensive but you're playing are you going to play for them to get
0: more expensive on this particular no, idiosyncratic phenomenon they're not really expensive anymore like the, in the summer right. they, in the summer they got expensive um and the skew completely flattened right as you would expect because people are like we only want calls and we're happy to sell puts so japan sporadically goes through goes through these episodes of spot up vol it's kind of one of the only indices that really does that right back in back in the kind of mid 2000s china was doing that as well china and hong kong was a spot up 5% every day and vol was exploding to the upside. So it's only really ever Asia indices that have that positive spot vol correlation. Europe and us never really do. Um, Japan kind of flip flops these days though, right? So it, it kind of behaves like a regular index where spot goes down and vol trickles higher spot goes up vol trickles lower, but then it came alive this year, right? So it's really a function of realized vol has got to be moving up as your spot is moving up and you're breaking through levels and making new highs, then Japan's kind of spot up vol up dynamic kicks back in again. That's not what we've seen in the last couple of months as we've been consolidating. So vols have had lots of time to trickle back down skew has moved back towards puts and therefore calls are now actually looking reasonably good value again, which is why I was saying selling put spreads to stay safe, owning some calls would actually set you up to be well positioned for a rally because if a rally comes and we break the highs. Japan vol is very susceptible to catching a bid on the upside, and Mm -hmm. those those calls will do even better, and then you'll be able to monetize them basically. So that that's kind of how I would think about it. So, but from your perspective, you would be actually trading, you're
1: trading, you're expecting vol to go higher, and that's where you're going to be capitalizing on, rather than the underlying. No, no, no. no. Longer calls. No, no, no. I I wouldn't
0: do it. I wouldn't do it. Delta hedged. I, I would only. I would only sell put spreads and buy calls if I was bullish and I wanted the delta exposure as well. And I actually wanted the direction. Mm. But the fact that I know that the vol in Japan has the potential to go up on the rally would make me more inclined to just be long calls rather than call spreads. Because in the US, for example, if I want to get long the S&P right now, buying calls, they're they're super expensive and we know the vol is going to get slammed if the S&P rallies. So you're better off buying call spread type structures in the US because you don't want to get caught long vol in a rally. That's not so so definitively clear in Japan, which is why owning that outright call is a lot more attractive in Japan because of that dynamic. Yeah. All right. Anyway, that's enough for me. If anyone wants to learn more about options, you know where to come. But Basically, why don't you tell us you you kind of dropped off the map a little bit. I'm used to seeing your videos on Blockworks, um, and and you've gone quiet on us, mate. What's going on? Tell everyone what's going on.
1: <laughs> uh, well, as you, as you speculated correctly earlier, I have retired to become a rapper. Um, no, I I have not done that.
0: Um, oh, please, can that... we can we at least do a do a skit, do a, do a, do like a, a spoof version of that, please no no that's that's okay that's all right
1: um, <laughs> you uh, you I, you're gonna be viral for the wrong reasons if you do that <laughs> um, so basically I I guess I'm very honored to be um you know on your on your show to to I guess kind of discuss this openly like for the first time but it's a bit like a lot of people have basically figured this out i've trickled it out there but um i'm currently working on just being an imran laka going totally independent and uh i am starting or i am in the process of building up and almost about to launch uh across the spread which is the platform a uh, multimedia platform of basically the kind of the same content basically a lot of global cross asset market um, commentary and insights differentiated, but specifically, you know, from the Asia perspective, right? So again, it's not really investing into Asia. It's what Market Depth podcast was, is basically uh, looking for things out of the Asia Pacific trading session or the region or developments or whatever they may be that have impact on the S&P 500, or the DAX, or on U.S. Treasury yields, or on Italian BTPs, or whatever, or on currencies or commodities. The entire third of this world is being completely undercovered, undercovered period, and undercovered relative to how much actual, like, market sway, green and red blinking ticket sway that has. So, I will be basically kind of restarting what I had been doing, uh, the Market Depth podcast. I hope the Market Depth, um, uh, you know, loyal (laughs) uh, follow me, but uh, it's gonna be much more interactive. It's not just gonna be me talking, you know, um, and and presenting um, one way. It's gonna be more of an interactive sort of discussion, Um, Join the community. You could basically, you could talk to me personally um, and all that kind of thing and just give me feedback and basically just build this together stakeholders in this and we'll just build out the platform together but it's gonna be audio video you know uh podcast episodes and all that as well as written content which is something i haven't done for a while but i'm getting back into um especially like sort of intraday quick notes where i don't have time to do an entire video and all that um and so yeah all that's being worked on and that's what i've been working on that and i got married <laughs>
0: ah congratulations man that sounds <laughs> uh sounds exciting so when, when do you officially launch that then that platform or can you not tell us yet? No, oh, I, eat- I, I,
1: uh, I don't have, I don't have a specific date yet, um, because of factors which I won't get into, but expected within the coming week. Oh wow! Okay. When, yeah. Nice. So, yeah. Across yeah. the spread, you heard it here. It's coming back, baby. I like. I. I haven't told. I get so many like. E- you know dms on linkedin and e- e- people find an email all the kind of things saying like well, are you okay what happened to you well, i really missed her you know this. And i would just say like stay tuned stay tuned stay tuned yeah emerald Luck on options insight that you heard it first <laughs>
0: exclusive mate exclusive it is it really a scoop. is it's a scoop mate it's you, been a pleasure me to it it's been it's been a pleasure chatting to you um and just connecting with you in general man it's, it's really good and I, and I think there's uh a lot of synergies between what we're doing, and uh, I think I've got a feeling people are going to see us together a little bit more often, yeah, going forward.
1: Yeah, um I, I just want to say, um, you know, I, I, I tell you this before, but like, uh pe- people who are listening to this, Imran did not tell me to say any of this that I'm about to say, okay? Not that he's the type of person who would, but if I had like an options insight sort of thing at my disposal, i would have been a far better options trader or um you know an execution trader at the golden disc i learned a ton there because i'm starting from nothing but i would have i would have like like that that process would have been like picked up so much easier if I had like this very clear like spelling out of the process and how things are done and then applying that to different sort of, you know, market moves of the underlying and what to do and how to trade that and how people trade that and stuff like that. So, uh, Imran, I think what you're doing is like you're one of the few that are actually the democratizing of finance, the, you know, giving the institutional like ways of doing things um, out there that so everyone says but nobody really delivers on. Um, and so I just want to, I admire you for doing that. And now as a kind of independent entrepreneur, I admire you for doing that as well, uh, which is a separate matter, but, um, but yeah, I think you're doing amazing stuff. And I, again, I just only wish that I had what you do at that time. I probably would have made some less, like less errors. That's very, very
0: kind of you to (laughs) say, and I appreciate you too, man. All right, guys, anyway, we're going to call it a day. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show. And we'll catch you all next time. Thanks. Thanks a lot.